Welcome to the Forerunner Church Podcast, where we highlight key messages and themes related to the body of Christ, inviting you to connect with our spiritual family as we grow in passion for Jesus and compassion for people. For more information, visit forerunnerchurch.com. Love it. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Okay, we want to talk about persevering in relationships. Anyone have a relationship in your life? Anyone, right? We want to talk about how we persevere in them. Amen? Okay, so we're going to look at Romans 5, 3, 5. It says, not only that, but we glory, which means be thankful, in struggles, knowing that those struggles produce perseverance. And perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has poured out in us, in our hearts. I love that. I do love that. I'm not sure I like the way God uses struggles to produce perseverance in us, right? Don't we wish it could come easier? I want to sit and have a cup of coffee and perseverance be just brewing in me, (laughs) right? It's like, no, it doesn't work that way, honey. You have to get up (laughs) and you have to do it. And so Paul instructs us that it's actually through struggles. It's actually through hardship. It's actually through some of the challenges that we face. That if we work them out even moderately well, it's not like if you work it out 100%, but if you work it out well, he's going to produce something in you that you're going to need in life. Amen? I'm going to need it. You're going to need it. We're just simply going to need it. And uh, we don't always see that on the front end, but we see it as we age gracefully. But no, as we age, right? Hopefully gracefully. Um, And so uh, the definition of perseverance is steadfastness in doing something despite the difficulty. It's steadfastness. It's continuing to do it despite how hard it is to do despite the delay in what seems to be success. How many of us have found delay in some of our relationships? Right? Delay. It's just delayed. Some of them are amazing. Some of them are complicated. Some of them are fun. Some of them aren't so fun. But God says, I'm going to produce something in you, Tracy, if you stick with it, if you work it out, and if you pursue to work it out well. And so what we want to do is we want to not be discouraged. We want to not give up. We want to take action despite the challenges. And so what we see is that we have to fight the urge of the easier path, which is to quit, which is just to give up. We, we, we really do need to resist giving up on some of our relationships. And so what we're talking about is we're not talking about persevering in abusive relationships. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that. We're talking about persevering in relationships that that, that we're all in that are not abusive. And so what we see is that He tells us that if we stand steady in that relationship, 
We're going to ultimately grow in character. And so we know that relationships are beautiful, they're messy, they're hard, they're fun, right? They bring great joy, and then they're back to being messy, and that was in one day, right? Like, just like, and there we go. How did we start? I mean, what? We were having so much fun. And someone said one wrong thing, and it was over. And so... I think that he's like, no, it matters. And I have to understand that it matters because it's the primary way God has chosen for Tracy to have character built in them. And so these are not traits that come easily. They are not traits that come easily. Character, it doesn't come easy. But with consistent effort and intentional effort without giving up, we see a change in us. So we have sibling relationships. We have friends. We have parent to child. We have child to parent. We have coworkers. We have bosses. We have employees. We have marital relationships. We have dating relationships. And some of us have puppies, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, and I'm just doing the puppy. But those are complicated. I mean, they don't always do what you tell them to do. So it's always a little more challenging than we think. So each of these relationships have different nuances and roles in the course of our life. They really do. Each of these relationships. And so the thing is, is we're not necessarily unpacking those. <clears throat> Pardon me. We're not unpacking those. We want to we wanna see the areas of which some of us actually have difficulty in relationships due to our unrealized expectations on those relationships. We don't even know we have expectations. We don't know that it's our heart that's motivating the complicated relationship. And we're not even going to unpack that. But I do want to at least mention that because I think it's, it's indicative of all of our lives. It's indicative of all of our lives. All of our relationships. We tend to have unrealized expectations, which means I don't realize I have it until I don't get it. And then I'm a little frustrated. I mean, I'm not angry, mind you, just a little frustrated. And so, because Christians, we're not angry, right? Just a little frustrated. Right? The Christianese word for anger. It really is. And so what I see is in those expectations, they're unrealized, reciprocated feelings of love and affection. Our emotional needs aren't being met in the way that we hoped they would be. We live in comparison, keeping score on who's giving more in that relationship. Well, you're never calling me. I'm always calling you. You never show up. I'm always showing up. You're never. You're not. I'm doing the work. You're not doing the work. And those could be in all of those relationships. And we're measuring. Why do I have to do it all? These are unrealized. We, I'm not receiving the honor due. We all know we're not receiving the honor due from our family systems. Amen? I mean, that's just real. I mean. But it's like that actually impacts us until we realize that it's impacting us and we can actually work it out reasonably well. And so... What we also see is money and socioeconomic status changes within some of those relationships actually affect those relationships. 
They truly affect relationships. But what I want to talk about is I actually want to talk about the, the difficult, hard, kind of not so easy seasons that happen to all of us that come to no necessarily fault of our own, but they just show up in our lives. And we find ourselves pressed in. We find ourselves hemmed in. We find difficulty, and we can't quite figure out why this is happening. And so the one next to us, no matter who it is, the parent, the child, the sibling, the boss, the employee, the worship leader, the teacher, the, whoever it is, the spouse, gets blamed for our hard season. If they would just change, my hard season would change if they would handle this well. And it's, I see it in the area of we have sicknesses in our families. We have loss of jobs. We have uh, moves, often due to loss of jobs, sometimes just moving because we think the Lord's going to be in it, and then he is, and then it's hard, and we're confused. I thought God was in this. He was. It is hard, but God's in it. Yeah. Are you following me? A room full of people who have beautifully joined us and found it hard. I mean, it's, I didn't have to move and I found it hard. So I grew up 10 minutes from here and I'm still finding it hard. Um, in trenches, raising children. Listen, if you're raising children, you're just in the trenches. Really, you're, you're in the trenches. And it's almost like you just have to put your head down and keep going. You, you just have to win the war with children. And sometimes it goes longer than we want. Um, uh, loss of loved ones, promotions that require uh, more of our time. Promotions actually require more time. You may end up making more money, but it requires more time. It requires more emotional bandwidth. It requires more th thing adjustments of your family. And that actually is hard on the family. It has to, they have to make adjustments. And so we're looking at that often is causes limited time together it's limited time and so limited time in relationships does not help a relationship lack of increase of lack or increase of finances you know increase of finances is challenging I know some of you go really <laughs> I'll take it <laughs> I hear you but it actually is challenging because you have to decide what you're going to do with that money and I find everyone has a different idea of what to do with that little penny we just got. We just acquired a, 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 another $100. Well, I've got an idea where you got, who's, whose idea is you, gets to do it. And it becomes complicated. So these are often very painful. I don't, I mean, I, I, I do use jokes, and, but I do it to lighten the realities that we're facing. Not to make fun of what we're facing. The realities of what we're facing are hard. These are very painful realities. I've lost loved ones close to me. I've lost two siblings. I've lost a brother-in-law, so I've really lost three siblings. I've lost parents. We've had sicknesses. We have illnesses. Those are hard. Those aren't like, whoa, this is funny. They're painful. But God goes, Tracy, I, I will help you. I will help you navigate some of these hard places so that you don't turn on each other and then just consume each other, right? 
And so that's what we want to see. We want to see steps forward on how we actually not just consume the person next to us because our life, we have found it to be a little challenging. Right? And so I find one of the best steps to begin with, this isn't the end all, but it's to begin with, is to actually see, because here's the thing, in the midst of the challenges, we're, we tend to just be mad at people. And we're mad at the way the person next to us is hand, handling the challenge. I found myself upset at some of my family members at the way they were dealing with the death of some of my family members. Are you with me? It's hard. People don't grieve the same. And I'm like, no, I actually need you to do the way I do so I feel good about how you're doing it. And so what happens is we often, with the person next to us, deal with difficulties very differently. I have, I've had over my lifespan 14 siblings with in-laws. And I find you get us together and on any given day we had 40 different ideas of how to go about just A to B. How are we going to do Christmas? Are you with me? It's complicated. How are we going to walk this out? What does this look like? How are we going to bear the pressure? And so we start accusing each other of not doing it well. We start accusing each other of if you would just do it better, my life would be easier. If I could just get you to act normal, my life is good. Right? I mean, we don't say that. I mean, I kind of do. But we don't say that. We're like, okay, okay. It's like, but ultimately we're going, no, I, I need you to act normal. I need you to step up. And so we just start accusing each other. And that's exactly where the enemy wants us. That is prime real estate for the enemy. It's prime real estate. And so what I want to do is I want to look at the way God looks at it. Now, I know that that says like, ugh, right? We go, okay. But really, I do. And the way he looks at it, I think one of the best, one of the best uh, stories is Zechariah. In Zechariah 3, he's being brought into a scene that God actually brings him into. And he's watching. He's watching this scene of Joshua being presented before the, before the Lord. And the enemy is accusing Joshua. And the enemy's going, do you know what a dirtbag this guy is? Do you know what a failure he is? Do you, do you realize how many times he's done it poorly? Do you realize how many times he's failed? Do you realize how many times he's not done it right? Do you realize, do you, right? That's an accusation. And what ends up happening is God doesn't actually answer the accusation. God goes, I'm going to take his filthy rags and I'm going to remove them and I'm going to cleanse him and I'm going to use him. You don't see about Joshua what I see about Joshua. Now, I want you to hear me. Here's the catch. Here's the catch. Joshua had on filthy rags. So he had wrong things. Joshua had some real deficiencies. Joshua had some real challenges in his behavior, in his leadership. And the enemy took it and he exaggerated. The enemy took it 
And he said, look, this is what this, is what this man is. This is, the, this is the totality of who this man is. And so what I see is what he did is he took his deficiencies and by accusation increased them. How many of us, how many of us actually take accusation and add a little hamburger helper? To just really bring it home. Just to really bring it home. I find every accusation has a little hamburger helper. But here's the catch. It has a little hamburger in it. In other words, it's real. So it's complicated, isn't it? Now here's the thing. I'm not saying we don't work out issues with each other. Please, please don't hear that. We absolutely do. But I want to see through the lens of how God's seeing the people in my life that are irritating me. Because there's people that irritate me. Okay. I, I don't have to accuse myself for those things. I have to go, oh, I'm not actually seeing them through a, a correct lens. And I want to align how I view people through how he does it. Because he doesn't do it the way we do it. But here's the 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 real estate that the enemy wants. He wants you accusing you. He wants Tracy to accuse Tracy of her deficiencies, her vulnerabilities. We, we have vulnerabilities, amen? Her deficiencies, her vulnerabilities, and her actual failures. He wants me accusing me of them and going, I'm never going to get this. I'm, well, listen, I've been in this, this room some almost 40 years now. I've been in this church, in this building, in leadership. I can list my failures more than I want. It's not okay. It's not like, okay, well, God's forgiven me. It's like, no, I actually want to reckon with them. But I also want to be able to stand before that throne of grace and go, he's actually helping me. And then I want to bring people in to go, I need more help. Are you following me? But if he gets me accusing me, I'm going to shred you. I'm going to shred you. If I'm accusing me, I'm shredding you because we're harder, right? Are you following me? Those of us who live with an accusing voice on the inside often shred the people in front of us. Of course, it's all under the, I just, it's just the truth. I'm just speaking the truth. Are you with me? We often just speak the truth not realizing that the truth is actually positive about that person. The truth isn't just negative. It's actually positive. I want to see the positive. I actually want to see the positive. I don't want to ignore the negative. In fact, I think that that's part of the beauty of the story is that he takes people like myself and maybe some of you, maybe not all of you, that are really weak and broken and goes, I'm going to use them for my purposes. Watch this. If, here's the catch. Because he, he said to Joshua, I need you to walk in my ways. Which doesn't mean he did it perfectly. But it means he got back up and he did it again. And he got back up and he set his heart towards it again. And he got back up and he set his heart towards Are you with me? And so we, we, we get to do that. And so that lens that the Lord allowed Zachariah to see. I mean, what a seeing, you guys. 
What an amazing scene to watch. The enemy, I mean, none of us really have Satan standing there accusing us. Come on. We're our biggest accusers, and we accuse each other. And so kind of doesn't need the enemy, but that's where he wants us. And I want to learn to quit accusing. Anyone? I, I want to figure out how to do it then. Then how do I do it? I think we, the path that we choose forward is that we have to choose to war against us accusing people around us. I have to war against it. I have to actually choose to war against it. Now, here's the thing. I think accusation really boils down to complaining. I know. Who wants to hear that one again? But it does. It boils down to me complaining about the person that I'm serving. The person that is serving under me, the, my children, my friends, I'm complaining about them. They're not doing it right. I mean, if they just do it right, we all know it would go better. Amen? We all see what they need to do, right? doesn't take a rocket scientist to see the negative in someone. It just isn't hard. It is human. It is our instinct to go, oh gosh, bad hair day. Poor person. Are you with me? It's real. We go, oh, that didn't work. Now, some of us wouldn't say it out loud, but lots of us do. Are you following me? It's not hard. You guys, it's really not hard to pick out what is not going right in this service. It's just like, okay. It's not insightful. What's insightful is to go, oh, they are really working at this, this, and this, and this, and I'm seeing how they're doing it. That's just not what we do with each other. We just go, shoosh, if you would just, if you would quit, if you would just adjust this one thing, if you would just do this, if, are you following me? That's actually accusation, but it's complaining. It's criticism. And it's gasoline on our friendships, our relationships, our marriages, our children, our parents. It's gasoline. And then we're fried and we can't quite figure out why God's not delivering us. It's like, well, how about you quit pouring gasoline on a fire? Like, Tracy, you have to quit. I'm talking to me. I really am talking to me. You have to quit. You have to align yourself with what God's saying about them. Work out the ways in which things are difficult. You can do things differently. and You can help each other. and You can gain insight. But I want you to see through a different lens. And you're not seeing through a good lens. And you think you are by calling it truth. Well, I'm just a judgment person, justice person. I'm just a truth person. It's like, yeah, you're a little critical. I mean, I love you. No big shock, but that's not justice and truth. It's like, no, you're actually kind of mean. Does that make sense? I mean, it's a bummer, right? <laughs> because that means, oh, well, all righty then. And it's like, no, the God's looking at me going, no, you really have to do this well. And so the thing is, is we have to choose that way forward. I have the most amazing job working with addicts. Love addicts. Love them. I love addicts. I is an addict. I really am. Love me some sugar. We'll probably have some during the game just to 
ease my nerves, <laughs> right? I mean, come on. I might start, well, you know, what time is it? And so, right? So I get it, addicts. Ugh. But here's the beauty of addicts. Sober addicts war against their addiction. And they war against it every hour, every minute of every day. Until their brain chemistry shifts. And I'm here to tell you, brain chemistry takes a minute to shift. Behaviors take a minute to shift. And let's say God delivers you from your addiction in a moment, which he does. Amen? You still have to change your behavior. And your behavior and your brain chemistry and your synapses in your brain have to actually change. Glad he's delivered you. It's beautiful. You now have to change your behavior that you acquired during your addiction. And so they have to war every moment of our day and they're aware of it. So how am I liking that to us? I think some of us are addicted to accusing. I think some of us are addicted to complaining. I, I just, I mean, we say hello and we start complaining. And then we call it processing. On social media, we call it venting. I'm just going to rant. I'm just going to, you're like, what are you doing? I mean, listen, it's cold outside, amen? I, I could complain about it or I could just keep moving. But it's just not what we do as human beings. And so we have to wage war. If we think that we're going to change our behaviors and our communication style, and which then actually changes our relational style by just hoping it changes. How many of us have found that to work? I've lost a lot of relationships under that theory. And I've had to go back and repair and go, hey, you know, I think I might have done that poorly. Okay, 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 fine. Okay, I did it horrible, right? Just own it. Work it out. And so we, we want to do that. I must choose to act in the opposite spirit. I must choose to act differently than I have been doing. I really need to wage war on my complaining, on my accusing. And then we want to bring people in. We want to bring people into our situation. We need to invite people into our process. I know. Then they're going to know we need help. I know. You do need help. We do. We do need help. That's okay. No shame. Like none. The shame is actually in not getting help. I need help. I need help. I just got help the other day with the situation. I need someone to come and go... I don't think you're seeing it the way you think you're seeing it. Most of us just find someone who agrees with our system, our relational dynamic, our way we're behaving, the things that we're saying that bolster us, why we get to continue doing what we're doing and point at the person and say, if they changed and dumped, we'd be okay. I, I don't want to live like that. I don't. I'm going to see him one day. I want to do it well, at least reasonably well. I mean, the bar's not wildly high. But if I don't actually attack something, I will attack nothing. 
And then you're just in that cycle of drama, of conflict. But we get along so well till we hit this one thing. Yeah, I know you need help. No biggie. And so we, we need to bring people into the process. Some people would call that counseling. I try not to use that four-letter word. It sends Christians all on a, all a Twitter. But Proverbs, I love Proverbs. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. Did you hear that? The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. I don't want to be right in my own eyes. Well, I mean, I kind of do. I mean, I do. That's the, that's the challenge. I kind of do. I, I kind of need this person in front of me to be wrong so I can just get on with it. And he goes, actually, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man is one who listens to counsel. It's hard to listen to counsel when I haven't asked for any. Listen to counsel and accept, that's Proverbs 12, 15. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Many, many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Proverbs 19, 20. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with counsel, they succeed. Proverbs 15. We, we need to bring people in. No biggie. Please bring wise people in. How do we know they're wise? Well, you'll know within about three minutes if your life's changing. If it's not, and you don't, they're not helping you find a way forward, find someone who will. We want to gain a long-term vision. I want to gain a long-term vision of the people I'm in relationship with. I need to gain a long-term vision. I need to gain that. I need to understand with each person and each situation, I want a longer-term vision. I don't want that short-term one. We're in a book called Life, and your book may be 60 chapters, if you see the Lord early. I'm hoping my book's a good 90 chapters. I don't know if my kids are looking for 30 more years, but I am. <laughs> right? Your kids are like, what? what? 30? Okay, okay. 30, 30 more years of you, Right? It's like, yeah, 30 more years of my encouragement to you. I mean, that's my goal, right? So if I'm in a 90-chapter book, many of us concluded at chapter 60. We concluded at chapter 30. We conclude people's lives are over. And God goes, mm, I've got a little bit longer-term vision. I've got longer term. I'm not, the Bible makes it clear, the beginning, the ending is better than the beginning. The ending is better than the beginning. We all know we gain, well, our goal is to gain skill in every area that we're giving ourselves to. Amen? I mean, that's our goal. And so we, we, need, to, we need to gain that longer-term vision for the ones that we're next to. I want to say this again. That doesn't mean you don't work things out. Remember, point three, we need to invite people into our process. We need to take classes. Some of us just need tune-ups in our marriage. Well, we've been married 45. I think we're okay. Well, that's okay. Get a tune-up. Not going to hurt you. In fact, it'll probably help because you're more mature to hear what you didn't want to hear 20 years prior. And so that's okay. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I had some friends. I haven't asked if I could share this, so I won't share their names, who I think they're married 38 years and just took a marriage class under Mike Rizzo. 
And he says, he did it. He encouraged his wife. He says, hey, babe, let's go do this. She's like, are you asking me? <laughs> right? Every woman everywhere. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Like, really? Like, okay, let's do this. And they had a blast. And they continue hosting things at their house due to that. And so I think that that's beautiful. And so I think that we want to gain. It says, judge nothing before it's time. The end of a matter is better than the beginning. Patience is better than pride. Ugh, I hate that one. I mean, don't you sometimes hate this stuff? Anyone besides me? Like you're looking at it going, surely this isn't me. It's like, ugh. I mean, really, it's just like, do not be quickly provoked in your heart or spirit for anger because anger resides in the lap of fools. When you see the naked, that you would cover him, that you would not hide yourself from your own flesh. The naked is seeing their stuff. I don't want to hide my stuff from me. You know, we hide our stuff from ourselves, which is why we are so good at Assessing everyone else's stuff. I'm really good at helping you with yours. Just FYI. I have a harder time seeing me. That's why God says, actually, we need each other. So I want to end with um, the story of David. We know the story of David. It's a beautiful story of David. We know that the prophet Samuel went to his dad's house. And he said, hey. You know, you have an anointed one here that the Lord sent me to talk to. Samuel didn't know who it was. Samuel had no idea. So the father did what every father would do. He gathered the strongest of his tribe. Anyone in large families? Anybody in large families? I mean, anyone at the bottom of large families? You're not the strongest of the tribe. FYI. And so he gathered the strongest of his tribe. It's, this is a real story. So he gathered them around the table. He had eight sons. He only gathered seven. Because that last born was just, well, I mean, he was last born. He didn't have any accomplishments. He gathered the olders who had acquired some accomplishments and acquired some things to actually bring to the table. And so they all stood in front of Samuel one by one. Samuel was like, no, not that one. No, not that one. No, not that one. Nope, not that. He doesn't know until they're in front of him. Nope, not that one. Nope. Nope, not that one. I know I'm saying it again. Nope, not because this is what happened. Nope, not that one. And he's like, this is, this is all you have? And he goes, well, I mean, I got one out there. Now listen, David probably looked at his dad and said, hey, dad, can I? Like, I want to be at that table. Who doesn't want to be with the most famous guy in the earth? Right? I want to be in that meeting. I want to be at that table. I want to be with the prophet and they're doing backroom deal. I want to be there, right? Are you sure he looked at his dad and said, can I at least listen to the window? And his dad goes, just go do what you're supposed to do, which is very menial what he was doing, which was sheep, which would probably be mowing or picking the weeds or doing something in our backyards today. And he goes, no, stay out there. And he's like, okay. You know, sometimes as parents, we miss who God's calling in our children's lives. Sometimes as parents, we don't see what is in our children. We see what we constantly have to deal with. Are you with me? And so he says, bring him. He goes, this is it. And they all were like, David, you want 
And here's the thing. This is, the, this is really so important for all of us to understand. It's an, I think it's a deeply important sentence that goes to how we relate with each other. He said, God, God speaks this to Samuel. And here's the thing. I don't think Samuel knew this. God does not evaluate men like we do. He does not see men like we do. Men look on the outward appearance and elevate that person. God actually looks at the movement of their hearts. Isn't that beautiful? He's watching your heart and my heart. He's watching my struggle to do it well. You may not see my struggle to do it well. My children, I know, may not see my struggle to do it well. But I am. And he goes, oh, Tracy, I see you. Now, we evaluate of the 10 good things a person's done and accomplished and their degrees and their this and their that. And we like that. I mean, it's good to have those things and evaluate those things. But he goes, that's not my primary evaluation. My primary evaluation is actually watching them. My primary evaluation is seeing them. <clears throat> and so I'm just going to share in the last couple of minutes my own personal story with my little sister, Lisa. Some of you know Hope City. Hope City is a beautiful expression of IHOP and Forerunner Church. It's our justice expression. It's where we take care of the poor. It's where we feed the poor. It's where we house homeless when it's three degrees outside. It's the most beautiful place and the most challenging place. <clears throat> it's not easy. And my sister, excuse me, my sister and her husband both run it. Now, here's the thing. My sister and her husband were both drug addicts, pretty significant drug addicts. And so she, wasn't, she was rarely invited to the table. They were drug addicts until they were 30-ish. Are you with me? We're looking at their life going, oh, this ain't going well. And it probably won't continue going well. And because her drug addiction started so early, she didn't finish even high school. I'm not even sure if she went into high school. She might have gone one year. I apologize, Lisa, for not knowing the detail. She knows I'm sharing the story. So she didn't actually even finish. So it's like, even if she does get saved, yeah, I mean, oh, didn't really have a high school. You're following me, right? It's what we do with each other. And as I said before, I've been in this building 40 years. I was married to a pastor that, uh, that helped my brother start this church. And I was in the back room meetings with all the prophets. So I had the back room. She, she didn't. And then she gets saved, and my husband leaves me. And suddenly, the roles shift. Now, my sister is a rock star. No, I mean, no, she's a rock. You guys have zero idea of the rock star that I have for a little sister. And, and I mean, she's really amazing for things that you guys would not even necessarily know about at all. And yet, it flipped our stories. And suddenly, she's in all the back rooms, and I'm kind of not. And I'm like, well, that ain't working. What, what in the world? And here's the thing. It's, 
we cannot finish our stories before they're over. But we do. We look at person and go, well, that ain't going to work. Well, that ain't going to work. Lisa's story is beautiful. I serve my sister. I've served my sister for the last 15 years. Every week I go down and I, I serve her at Hope City. And I do what she tells me to do. Mostly. Mostly. Hi, Lise. Lisa says she's homesick. I'm convinced she's home watching, you know, Chiefs videos. But anyway, uh, I hope you get better, honey. Uh, so <laughs> the thing is, is seasons in our life changes. Ecclesiastes promises that. And here's the thing. We always say it's the time for mourning. It's the season for mourning. We use just that one. But if you look at Ecclesiastes, it lists everything for a season. Like everything. And you go, okay, this, se this hard season that you're in. How many of you feel like you've been in a hard season? Come on. No shame. Bunch of liars. So, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I feel you. Not easy. I'm just being silly. Anyway, the thing is, is that we often don't realize that season's going to shift, but we have to persevere. We want to unload the person next to us. We want to unload that person. We want to unload the children. We want to unload the spouse. We want to unload the pastor. This church ain't working either. You're on your 15th church. Which church is going to work? Do you know how easy it is to look at churches and let us know what's wrong with it? Well, not insightful, you guys. Really, super not insightful. And I don't, I don't know how to tell some of my friends who have now left the church and are kind of pointing at the church of all the things they've done wrong, which why they left the church. I, I kind of want to look at them. I guess I am right now. I kind of want to look at them and go, you know you were a part of that church. I mean, did you change the system? Or did you sit there and accuse? And so we, we don't want to do that, amen? I'm going to invite the worship team up. We don't want to do that. We want to sign back up to doing it well. I want to sign up for character. I want to sign up for perseverance. I want to be able to say in my 90s, because I'm going there, folks. I want to say in my, much to my children's chagrin. My grandkids will be thrilled, though. But listen, my, and my greats, yes. Anyway, the thing is, is, I want to be able to sign up and say, actually, I'm stronger. I believe more. I stand more. I do it better. I love better. But that's not going to happen. I'm not looking for claps. That's not going to happen unless I shift something. I have to war against it. I have to say yes against it, even in my weak areas. Even in those weak places. Where are you looking at? I want to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Now, some of you are going, well, I've asked God to change it, and he's just not doing it. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily change people's behavior. He graces them to change that behavior. But it's incumbent upon them and me and you to change our behavior. God is not going to change my behavior. My behavior is the theater of my heart that I'm proving my love to him by doing the things he's asked me to do, by keeping his commandments, by being kind to those around me. Now, it says this. This one's we're not going to like this, so I just want to preface it. It says, love your enemies. We all know this. Listen, we all know this. So we just already going, because eh, we know it. 
But it actually says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Here's the thing. We barely pray for the people we love. If we're supposed to pray for those who are our enemies, how much more am I supposed to pray for the people I love? And I don't do it. I complain about them. I need God to change them. If God would change them, my life would go better. And so we, we want to persevere because we want to live in a hope that doesn't disappoint. Amen? And so by persistence in doing good, we seek eternal life with him. And then it says, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap that reward if we do not give up. That's the end of that. That, that, that. I'm not making that up. I can't give up, which means when it doesn't go well, I go, well, I got to figure out how to do this better. And then I sign back up. And then I sign back up. And so we want to we spend a minute or two signing up. Amen? I want to invite everyone to stand. I just want everyone to close their eyes. Father, we ask that you would come. We ask that you would come, Lord. If you're with your family, a friend, I encourage you to say, hey, let's hold hands. Let's pray together. I want you to pray with your family. I don't want any talking if we can. If you're standing next to a spouse, I'm encouraging you to look at your spouse. We want to sign back up. We want to sign back up. Some of us need to apologize. Some of us need to start with, I've done this really, really, really bad, and I've put it on you. But I don't want to do that anymore. We need to sign up. You can look at each other and talk. Let's do this. Let's sign up. So, Father, we ask that you would come, that you would rest on these ones, that you'd rest on me, you rest on this worship team, we want to sign up to not accusing those around us. To not blaming the one around us for our life not going well. For not blaming and accusing and seeing only the negative. I want to see what you see. My primary prayer, and I'm saying this sincerely, my primary prayer when I'm with people is I want to see what you see about them. I want to feel what you feel about them because he loves them. He loves me. He loves me more than I love me. And we love ourselves quite a bit. But he actually loves me more. So I want to see what he sees about that person. I want to feel what he feels about the person that is irritating me. And I want to know what he knows about them. It changes my perspective every time. Amen. So we say, come, Lord. We say, do it, Lord. They're going to sing. But I want you to do some business with the Lord. Don't talk. Except with each other. Do some business with God. I want to do it, Lord. Show me my blind spots. Show me what I'm not seeing. Be nice to me, Lord, but show me. Desperation leads me to 
the person next to you, your children. Children, talk to your parents, friends, spouses. If you're like me and you're here by yourself, I'm talking to the Lord. Even now while I'm talking to you, I'm saying, show me what I don't see. Put your finger on that area of my heart that I need to shift, that I need to war in. Thank you for tuning in to Sunday Sermon. For more information, service times, and free teaching resources, visit forerunnerchurch.com.